thank you for listening to the Skeptics in the Pub online podcast. This unedited audio is taken from The Bloody Work of Naturopaths by Brit Hermes. By Brit Hermes. It was first broadcast live on the 29th of October 2020. A video recording of this and many other talks hosted by Skeptics in the Pub online are still available on our YouTube channel. We hope you enjoy this podcast and thank you for your support. Thank you, everyone. I am super, super excited to be here with you all tonight, and thank you for that nice introduction, Dave. So as he mentioned, I am a PhD student in evolutionary genomics, and specifically, I study the skin microbiome, which are all of the tiny organisms that live on all of us. This is the reinvented scientific version of me. I am not here to talk to you tonight about this research, but rather I'm here to talk to you about who I used to be. So from 2011 through around 2014, I was a naturopathic doctor. I went by Dr. Britt and I had just graduated in 2011 from Bastyr University, the so-called premier ND school in the United States. I was already licensed in Washington State, which means I could call myself a doctor, I could advertise myself um, as a primary care physician, and I wore a stethoscope around my neck and I did all of these doctory things, so I really felt like I knew what I was doing. And um, I had landed a great job in a family practice in Seattle, where I used what I had learned in naturopathic school to attract patients and to make money. So here is a screenshot of my time at that practice um, in Seattle. And I'm this really ambitious, naturopathic, new doctor in a resident-like role. And I just want to share some snippets with you of my bio because I think it's really illustrative of um, my complete and utter delusional thinking around this time. So Dr. Deegan, which is my um, maiden name, Dr. Deegan loves working with couples that are planning a pregnancy in order to develop appropriate prenatal and preconception care strategies and to assist with any challenges that may unexpectedly arise while trying to become pregnant. In order to help her patients with whatever health challenges may arise, she has pursued additional advanced clinical training in the areas of child developmental disorders, weight loss techniques, anti-aging, dermatology, fertility, and reproductive health. So I think it's important to say at this point that I did not go to medical school. Rather, I went to naturopathic school, Bastyr University, which describes itself as offering degrees in science-based natural medicine and as a leader in cutting-edge research in complementary and alternative medicine. I thought that I had received a great medical education, something that combined the best of both worlds, modern science, <clears throat> plus effective, excuse me, effective natural care, because that's what naturopathic students are constantly being told. We're constantly told when you're in naturopathic school that you, that, that the students there are engaged in a rigorous curriculum with comprehensive clinical training and groundbreaking research. But in reality, naturopathic schools peddle 
pseudoscience. What makes Bastyr and the other naturopathic schools in North America like it so unique is that they teach naturopathy plus just enough medicine to make it all seem legitimate to the unsuspecting. So for example, we had a gross anatomy lab where I dissected cadavers. I took a biochemistry course. I took a physiology class, a histology lab, a biochemistry course, and lots of other classes with medical titles. But make no mistake, bullshit outweighed whatever real science was taught in the program. Let me give you an example. I was required to take three times as many classes in homeopathy than pharmacology, which, by the way, was also taught by a naturopath. I was required to learn about traditional Chinese medicine, energy healing, hydrotherapy, Not to mention that I was consistently exposed to magical thinking. So here's a nice example of that. Free Herb Day presentation on plants and planets, an astrological system of medicine. So this class was taught at Bastyr by the director of research laboratories at Bastyr, who describes himself as an always learning herbalist, and laboring alchemist. In other words, I feel like at Bastyr, the brainwashing was so thorough that we really thought that we were in legitimate medical school and that like these crazy courses that I was constantly exposed to and all of this magical thinking that I was con- like just constantly thrown at me, I didn't even notice, to be honest. I didn't even understand that um, astrological system of medicine means absolutely nothing. And when this is being taught alongside something that's real, like pharmacology, I essentially lost the ability to tell the difference between bullshit and anything that was real. And I want to reinforce here that the naturopathic schools and the naturopathic profession as a whole are constantly reinforcing this idea that naturopaths are poised to solve uh, the U.S.'s national healthcare crises. And they're commonly referring to their students, for example, as medical students. So this is a tweet um, way back in 2016 from an a naturopathic school in the U.S. that says, check out our webinars about student life as an SCNM medical student. And these naturopathic schools and organizations are even pushing their students to ingratiate themselves with medical organizations. So, for example, here's an old tweet from Bastyr University that reads, naturopathic students make strides at 2015 National Convention for the American Medical Student Association. And as a naturopathic student, I can tell you that the students loved this. It felt so good to consider yourself as a real medical professional, and it really reinforced this idea that naturopathy was this real thing. So naturopathic schools in the U.S. are pumping out grads who are pushing this natural health care movement, and they are um, convincing state lawmakers and public and everyone around them that naturopathy is not quackery. The problem with this is that naturopaths decide whether one of their own has crossed a professional line, a professional boundary. And yes, it's true that other professions also self-regulate. But NDs are not trained in the rigors of science, in medicine, or even in ethics. They believe homeopathy is real. They think natural is always better. 
And this makes naturopaths remarkably bad at ensuring that the public is protected from incompetence and from danger. And I want to share with you now a personal example of that. In 2014, my former boss in Arizona was importing a dubious cancer drug called Ukraine and giving it to patients with cancer, all different types of cancer and all different stages of cancer. And this practice was going on for some time. Essentially, the patients were paying for the medication um, cash out of pocket, and through a system of money wiring, the drug was then being shipped from Austria at the time to the United States. And through my role at the clinic, I had started helping my boss in giving this medication to the patients. And so I had a really friendly um, relationship with many of these cancer patients. And one day they mentioned to me that um, they were nervous because the shipment of the Ukraine drug hadn't arrived as expected. And so they were asking me, you know, what did I know about this and when can they expect it? And again, they were nervous because they were using this drug um, as a cancer cure and because they had paid thousands of dollars out of pocket up front. So if the drug didn't show up, they were going to be out this money. Well, I mentioned to my boss that these patients were concerned and they, you know, were talking to me about it. And he said, oh, don't worry. Sometimes this happens. I bet the FDA confiscated it. And I thought that that was a funny thing to say. So I went home and I started Googling. And what I learned was very concerning. I learned um, that Ukraine is marketed as a cancer cure-all for all different types of cancers. And more importantly, I learned that it was not FDA approved which means that the importation of this drug from another country and the administration of it for the treatment of disease is potentially a federal crime. And even more scary, I found out that Ukraine is associated with some really serious side effects like liver failure and maybe even um, like bone marrow, uh, massive bone marrow problems. So essentially, I was incredibly scared I thought that I had um, accidentally involved myself in a federal crime, and I was incredibly worried that I had exposed these patients to something that could really hurt them or perhaps even make the cancer worse or even kill them. I didn't know. It just, it was, I was overwhelmed with fear. So what I did was I got a lawyer who I went and talked to immediately for advice, and he advised me on the next steps, which were to quit the practice, which I wanted to do anyway at that point because I felt like I had been lied to from my boss. He had explained to me at the time that Ukraine was a natural and therefore safe cancer medication, which is a theme in naturopathy, and um, to report him to the Arizona Naturopathic Board which I did, and also to report him to the state attorney general, which I did. I expected the naturopathic board in Arizona to do a proper investigation and to to stop the practice and to do to do something, you know, to take on their role as regulators. But they did only what I would call a very superficial investigation. And at the end of this investigation, they delivered my former boss a letter of reprimand, 
which is basically just a slap on the wrist. And the board, or perhaps even my boss, it's not even clear, but somehow the, the truth got twisted in that there was a statement saying that Yuzik had voluntarily, or my former boss had voluntarily stopped using this cancer drug on his own. But the truth is, and I know this because I was there and because my boss admitted it to me in private, was that the drug had stopped arriving from overseas. And it might be because around this time, the manufacturer of the drug, which is this floating head in the corner here, had been arrested in Austria for charges related to fraud for relabeling and continuing to sell expired product. And based on the timing of all of these events, it's entirely possible that some of the cancer patients in Arizona had received expired um, dubious medication. Now, my boss, of course, or my former boss, of course, doesn't like it when I tell the story. It's very upsetting to him. <laughs> and he made a statement not too long ago to courts. Um, and through his lawyer, he said that the complaint and the letter of reprimand delivered from the regulatory board in Arizona did not result from any patient complaint, but from accusations made by a disgruntled practitioner, who would be me, who worked with Dr. Guzik who was my former boss, and understood his treatments and made no complaint until she abruptly left the practice. And the truth is, is that I filed my complaint before I left the practice. And yes, of course, I was disgruntled. I felt like I had been lied to and that his patients had been deceived about what I now know to be a quack cancer drug. I still feel sick about the whole thing, and it was my first experience with understanding just how deep the deceptions of the naturopathic profession go and how the naturopathic regulators will bend over backwards, essentially, to protect their own. I want to tell you now about another failing of the Arizona Naturopathic Board. So this is a story that I learned about from reviewing the minutes of the Arizona board, and it isn't something that I have written about. So several years ago, at a um, birthing clinic in Gilbert, Arizona, called Birth Haven at Life Spring Midwifery, um, a naturopath named Anne Marie Peltzer helped oversee a birth of, um, of, a, of a little baby. And so what's important to know here is that this naturopath, Anne-Marie Pulitzer, is the clinical director of this birth haven midwifery practice. And, and what I want to point out is that the center itself is owned by a midwife. So not a nurse midwife, but a lay midwife. So not someone that has actually gone through um, like standard medical training and has any like real obstetrics training. And the center itself employs many of these lay midwives. And the appeal, I think, of the clinic is that they offer a home-like atmosphere. I also want to emphasize here that there are no medical physicians on staff at this birthing clinic. And this is a little bit confusing because in Arizona, naturopaths can call themselves physicians. So if you're looking this up, you really have to kind of dig deep into the credentials of each of the practitioners to understand um, exactly what's going on here. So as I said, I found this story in the meeting notes of the Arizona Naturopathic Board, and the details are a little spotty, but here is what I was able to piece together. So 
On November 29th in 2016, a patient who is called Jane Doe arrives at Birth Haven in active labor. And Paltzer, the naturopath, had seen this patient many times while, you know, throughout her pregnancy for wellness care or whatever. And um, Paltzer, the naturopath, doesn't necessarily oversee the births at the clinic. She's not required to oversee the births at the clinics, but she happened to be at the clinic that day and was there when Jay, Jane Doe arrived. So Jane labored for about four hours, but the baby's head remained unengaged, meaning that the baby's head had not dropped down into the right place for delivery. And the midwife, who was also there with Paltzer, noted that the baby's heart rate kept slowing. So instead of just maintaining a a steady heartbeat, it kept dipping a little bit. And now this is concerning because if this dipping heartbeat goes on for too long, usually a C-section happens or at least it becomes more likely. You know, it's on the table. And rightly so. You know, drops in fetal heart rate can be dangerous for both mom and baby. So... Instead of advising that Jane be transferred to a a hospital, naturopath Paltzer recommended that Jane be given the homeopathic remedy Pulsatilla. And the dosing for this remedy was that it would be given every 15 minutes, as if somehow redosing sugar pills would make a difference. Now, again, I just want to pause here and emphasize again that homeopathy is not real. It's a magical treatment whereby some substance, any substance, usually a natural substance like a plant or a mineral or, um, or um, maybe even something poisonous, but even like crazy things like stones from the Berlin Wall are diluted and diluted and diluted and diluted over and over and over so that none of the actual original substance exists. And it's the so-called water memory that is then made literally into a sugar pill. And that's being given to this laboring patient at this point. So Jane Doe continues to labor and labor and labor and another four hours go by. And so the midwife decides at this point that she needs more homeopathy, (laughs) not perhaps a consultation with a medical doctor or transfer to a hospital, but rather more sugar pills. And I want to say at this point, too, that I know from the meeting notes that the midwife is trained in giving Pitocin, which is a really effective labor-inducing pharmaceutical drug, but none was given. Unfortunately, the laboring continues. Another hour goes by, and they finally decide that 911 emergency needs to be called. And the midwife is now reporting at this point that the baby has, quote, non-reassuring heart tones, but that labor was not imminent. The mama and the baby in utero were transferred to the hospital, and the emergency staff performed resuscitation for 30 minutes, but the baby died. This is an incredibly sad, sad story. And Paltzer, the naturopath, was rightly so, brought before the Arizona board because, not of a complaint, but because the Arizona Department of Health Services was forwarded a complaint about Peltzer that alleged that she failed to communicate with the hospital as Jane was transferred from the birthing center. So what this means to me is that one of the medical um, physicians or someone, you know, part of the medical staff at the hospital perhaps made this complaint. 
And the Department of Health Services in Arizona inspected the birth center because of this complaint, issued citations, one of which was for having expired medications on hand. And after essentially asking Paltzer a few questions related to her training and the training of the midwives at the center, <coughs> Paltzer said that she has decided to discontinue the use of homeopathy in the birthing center, which is fine. But the Arizona Naturopathic Regulatory Board decided, after hearing this, to uh, dismiss Paltzer's case. And they voted unanimously to dismiss her. And I, I find this ruling to be insanely outrageous. Naturopaths and lay midwives who, by the way, need to see only 50 births in order to have certification, have no chance at safely delivering babies. Just, you know, for comparison, for reference, OBGYNs see thousands of babies before they go into practice independently. And I really feel, I really believe that if Paltzer had gone before a real medical board, she likely would have been suspended and perhaps even have had her license revoked for gross negligence. Because naturopaths, it seems like, can literally get away with pretty much anything. And in this case, just tragically so, a baby died because of homeopathy. There really seems to be no standard of care in naturopathic medicine. Now, I want to take a moment and circle back to my alma mater, which is Bastyr University. In 2017, Bastyr's teaching clinic hosted a class called The Ancient Art of Bleeding. And just in case it's not clear from this slightly blurry screenshot, yes, this is a class in bloodletting. And to be fair, there is one medical condition that requires the removal of blood. It's called hemochromatosis. And this is a condition that results in excess iron in the blood. And patients get regular therapeutic phlebotomy, like at a local blood donation center, for example. But in the bleeding course taught at Bastyr, hemochromatosis is not mentioned. What is mentioned, however, is superficial and deep bleeding techniques and seven-star hammering of the toxin areas. So this is a seven-star hammer, which is a, a little hammer that has seven spikes on the head. And apparently the hammer is tapped onto the skin until the skin gets red and the skin breaks and bleeds. And I learned from looking this up that this little hammer is used to treat conditions like going bald, high cholesterol, skin diseases such as psoriasis, wrinkles, and age spots. <laughs> but it even gets a little bit weirder. So the most ridiculous technique taught in this course is bleeding the knees for herpes, which, as far as I can tell, appears to be made up by the instructor, who I have to give bonus points for making it rhyme. It really just, it's a little fun to say. <laughs> and I would say, at least in this case, that I think Bestier has blood on its hands. The ND schools in North America and the community and the profession as a whole are spreading and legitimizing quackery. But where you and I see pseudoscience and magic and fraud, naturopaths see medicine. And of course, 
this talk wouldn't be complete without mentioning COVID. And I just think that this is a really um, incredible example of some of the harm that can come from um, allowing naturopaths to call themselves doctors and portray themselves as legitimate medical practitioners. So in June of this year, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission issued several or dozens, excuse me, of warnings to companies making dubious claims about treating the novel coronavirus. And of course, many of these warnings were sent to naturopaths, offering things like homeopathic injections to prevent infection, supplements to boost immune function, and super duper high doses of vitamin C, which is then typically in a naturopathic practice, directly injected into the veins. I just want to read this um, headline for you. So this is from the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians, which says that they are urging physicians and hospitals to utilize IV vitamin C to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. And in this marketing blurb, or this press release, they claim that intravenous vitamin C, so injected directly into the veins, resulted in shorter hospital stays and lower mortality. And they cite um, a study out of China. So I looked up the original publication that is cited in this press release, and I looked for the data published, which was published back in March of this year, uh, in the Chinese Journal of Infectious Disease. And I found something interesting. A study is, in fact, not a study. It is a paper put out with recommended clinical guidelines for treating the novel coronavirus. And I could not find any data at all to support the vitamin C recommendations. I literally have no idea where the Naturopathic Association found the so-called published data, if there is any, suggesting that vitamin C could shorten hospitalizations or reduce death. And I think it's worth noting here that this paper of clinical guidelines also recommends using traditional Chinese therapies to reduce wind. The terrifying aspect of all of this for me is that it appears as though the naturopathic profession is willing to use the pandemic or anyone's disease, like cancer, for example, to push an agenda to integrate unproven and potentially harmful naturopathic therapies into medical care. And more than ever, I would say the naturopathic community has a responsibility to ensure the safety of patients. But instead, I see a profession trying to capitalize on fear. And I argue that we really need to demand comprehensive reform of the naturopathic profession to include stripping them of any doctor or physician titles, outright banning them from treating children, and perhaps phasing out licensing throughout North America altogether so that patients stop viewing them as medical professionals. And we absolutely should not rely on naturopaths to regulate themselves. One problem is that the public believes that naturopaths are vetted medical professionals because they have many markers of legitimacy. For example, several of the naturopathic schools are accredited and they offer licensing exams and there's well-funded and seemingly put together naturopathic organizations. But naturopaths also have their nonsense at the forefront and they hate that I consistently point this out to them in writings and in my talks. So, for example, 
in 2016, the naturopathic uh, profession really in North America started a change.org petition accusing me of defamation against the profession, calling me bitter and unsuccessful. And what I got from this is that it seems the naturopathic profession measures success by the amount of quackery you are willing to sell to patients. And by this standard, I am happy to say that I am the most unsuccessful naturopath on the planet. In 2017, I was actually sued by, in Germany by an American naturopath for allegations of defamation. And I'll just say here that it's a, a long and complicated story, but the background and all of the legal arguments and the outcome are all covered in detail on my blog at naturopathicdiaries.com. And long story short, we won. The lawsuit was deemed to be bogus, and the court ruled that my statements were protected speech under the German Constitution. And I just want to take a moment here to just sincerely thank Iran Segev from Australian Skeptics, who spearheaded a massive fundraiser to defend myself in this lawsuit. And thank you massively to everyone. And there were many, many of you all around the world who donated and sent me messages of support and love. And I know, I know that naturopaths were hoping that this lawsuit would shut me down. But I think instead it sparked the Streisand effect. There was global media coverage about the lawsuit, and I think naturopaths ended up getting way more negative press than they bargained for. Additionally, I was incredibly honored by receiving the prestigious John Maddox Award in 2018 for my work exposing naturopathy. And this award and this recognition came directly out of um, the lawsuit and um, that, that harrowing experience. So it's clear to me that naturopaths do not want me writing or speaking out about my experience in the profession. But I'm here to tell you that I will continue to stand up for science and I will continue to stand up for patients around the world. And thank you so much for your attention tonight and your support. And just thank you so much for being here. I look forward to talking with you more. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. I uh, hope you've uh, had a chance to get a drink and uh, make yourself more comfortable. Um, we are now back to do the Q&A with Brit. So um, I think it's time to get Brit on and we'll start uh, asking through the questions. So um, we're going to start with um, pretty much a weekly occurrence that we do every week. Brit, can we see your dog, please? He's sleeping back there. Cheers, everyone. So this is Buddha, the Sharpay. He turns nine in February. And I got him when I was in naturopathic school, and the poor thing has been exposed to some really atrocious naturopathic therapies. I could write a whole book on it, probably. Buddha. Hello. You say hello? I'm sure I should there be you. waving at a dog on a camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there he is. Oh, that, that's going to make our audience very happy. There you go. Um, I can only imagine what the chat's doing right now, but I imagine Doggo has been used several hundred times. I love him a lot. Um, right. Okay. Now, now we've now we've done the dog thing. Let's uh, move on to. So we've had um, quite a number of questions that have come up about um, the uh, lawsuit, um, and right. rather than going through all of the questions individually, it's probably best yeah. if we just ask you. Let's just a quick rundown of what's happened, what's going on, and where we're at now. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I was sued in Kiel, Germany by an American naturopath um, named Colleen Huber, who lives and practices in Arizona State. And German libel law is um, plaintiff-friendly. So it's technically um, could be um, um, a criminal penalty, where worst-case scenario, if you're found guilty of libel, you could have to theoretically serve jail time. So this is a really old law with really old um, consequences that that just essentially hasn't gone through reformation. Now, essentially, no one gets sent to jail for libel. But still, when I was sent cease and desist letters by this naturopath in Arizona and also by Bastyr University around the same time, um, their lawyers made sure to mention this fact probably to make sure that I was um, properly scared. Bit of fear tactics. Bit of fear, yeah. yeah. And even though this is an American institution and an American naturopath, um, it seems like they chose, I don't know for certain, right, but it seems like they chose to sue me in Germany because they probably had better chances of winning. At least that's my impression. So in some states in the U.S., for example, you could file um, like an anti-slap suit, so something to go against this libel suit saying, no, no, this is um, being filed strictly to shut me down. But Germany doesn't have such such an option. So I had to go through, um, you know, the whole ordeal court process of sending writs back and forth, back and forth. And it took well over a year, I think, uh, a year and a half roundabout for the case to finally get heard in German court, which essentially was me and my lawyer and then the lawyer of the naturopath from Arizona, at which point I answered a couple questions from the judge and the lawyers argued back and forth. And then some weeks later, the judge delivered um, her judgment, which said that she felt like I didn't um, commit libel and that the, the suit was more or less thrown out and everything that I said was protected free speech under German law. So that was very exciting. We've seen this a lot around the world, haven't we, with different situations where people get sued, mainly to shut them up. Um, and in the smaller um, groups, they tend to listen to it and they go, OK, I, we can't afford to defend against this. We're going to have to. Yeah. Um, and then fortunately, some people like yourself, uh, like I know the Skeptics Guide had the situation in America, uh, Simon Singh over here, um, yeah. have then turned around and gone, no, we're not backing down. No, yeah, what yeah. we've said is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's really awesome. For example, in um, like the Skeptics Guide case, for example, in America, the person who sues could be held liable for those legal costs. And the same is true in Germany, but to a much lesser extent. So there are really strict rules around um, how much like I can claim for reimbursement for those legal fees. And so there was a small amount of legal fees that were reimbursed, and those fees went directly back into that fundraising pool which is now being used, the excess funds are now being um, used to establish a, um, a a legal resource for others who get sued and something that people from around the world can access to have um, easy access to legal advice and perhaps even some sort of fundraising in case you know they find themselves in a su- similar situation. Which is a fantastic thing from the skeptics. But I think it was the Australians, wasn't it, who started Yeah, that yeah. It, Iran Segev spearheaded it, and the Australian skeptics really organized it and managed all the finances for me. That's brilliant. 
Yeah. Okay. I think we've sort of covered off that part. That was uh, about 10 questions that we've just done in a short time. But uh, let's move on to some of the other questions. So um, Alice Ashton asks, based on your experience, how many naturopaths believe their claims versus how many may be skeptical of the claims but just want the money? Yeah, yeah. So of course, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but we graduate thinking that we're doctors, right? So we graduate like a bit naive, super hopeful, lots of optimism, like we're going to go out and change the world. And I was definitely one of these people. And people in the community are calling us doctors. We're getting used to calling us doctors. I had a white coat. I went to Washington, DC to lobby for naturopathic laws. And so I think like, me and my peers, circa 2010, 2011, really believed in a lot of what we were taught. And maybe I had some inklings that like homeopathy was weird, but all of these people in the profession are telling me, no, no, it's real. It really works. And you you have to buy into it. So you just sort of like learn to stop thinking about it, I guess, is the easiest way to say that. But I have found with time as people practice for longer periods of time, they have the experience that I was actually starting to have just a couple years in, which is that the therapies don't work. And so you're sending the patient off with a homeopathic remedy or some herbal tincture, and then they're coming back two weeks later because um, they're not any better, is the best case scenario, is that the status has remained unchanged, or they've gotten worse, or they've had some terrible reaction to this so-called natural product that is supposed to be inherently safe and effective, which makes no sense if you just stop for a moment to think about it. Um, And so, and I, again, that's like, I have a very um, biased sample, but what happens is I receive a ton of emails from naturopaths who have been in practice for a long time, like 10, 15, 20 years, who are like, it doesn't work. I have felt this for a long time. And reading your blog, you've put all of these feelings into words, or I've totally changed my practice. And now I only do um, like nutrition, essentially. And so I think with time, the 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 veil sort of drops and people start to see it for what it is. But now they've invested themselves into a business and a profession and they have mortgages and they have kids and it's not so easy to just walk away and find a new career. And also they've invested into the degree itself in the first place because I'm sure I've heard you speak before about it was not cheap. It was not as if you could – yeah, it's not as if you can just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not – you know, naturopathy is not just a a profession. It's an ideology. It's a way – of living. And so walking away from this career was not just like, oh, I'm going to go get a new job now. It was literally leaving all of my friends. It was redesigning my entire world view. Like I've said this example before, but like I remember coming to the conclusion after reading lots of resources, but one of which was um, Simon Singh's and Edward Ernst's book, Trick or Treatment, which I highly recommend as a Christmas gift for anyone um, wanting to get someone a book in their life. And then going about my life and not knowing what to do. So like going to the grocery store, for example, and walking through the produce aisle and not understanding how to shop or what do I organic GMO doesn't matter. What do I do? What's real? And just feeling totally topsy-turvy confused. And like, I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I, I just felt to say I was lost is like a massive understatement. 
what did you do to overcome that what did you like where did you turn well um so i was engaged at the time to um the man who then became my husband who was t- incredibly supportive so there was a lot of like crying and talking <laughs> and that um i got a therapist which was in totally necessary. Um, I suffered from massive anxiety. So I also had a psychiatrist and needed some medication during this time as well. Um, because my heart rate was like out of the, out of control and couldn't sleep. And then it was just a matter of extricating myself from the situation. So I had to cut communication ties with people because I couldn't turn to my friends and my supporters in the community because I no longer trusted them. So a great example is one of my biggest naturopathic mentors um, called me right after I had this experience with my former boss and the Ukraine drug and feeling like I had been totally deceived and that we had been giving this fraudulent cancer drug to patients who might have been gotten really sick or had serious side effects from it. And I really trusted this mentor. And at one point he was the president of the American Association for naturopathic physicians. So he was like also a big deal in the naturopathic field. And he called me and essentially told me that it was no big deal, that I was overreacting and that I was quote unquote, I'll never forget it. I was sitting in the driveway in my car (laughs) and he said, you're a naturopath after all. And I remember everything just clicking into place after he said that, like, oh, I'm expected to just ignore all of these ethical problems and all of these safety problems and all of these concerns and the, the, the recommendations of the regulators and the governments from most um, countries around the world regarding the safety. Of the, I'm just expected to ignore all of that because I'm a naturopath and this is marketed as being natural. And that's when I really just started to understand that I needed a whole new, I needed to start from the ground up. You know, I needed a whole new support system I needed all new everything. So it just was like one baby step in front of the other, eventually leading to me getting a master's in science and starting a PhD program to re-educate myself and um, and still going through it today, you know, just, just putting yeah. one foot ahead of the other and just trying to get on. So I think this kind of leads into the next question, which is about how um, – about the, the thoughts behind naturopathy. naturopathy. Um, mm. So the question is from Gray the Earthling. Do naturopaths believe the scientific method doesn't work? What criteria do they use to judge whether a treatment works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if they don't believe it works, but they certainly believe that it doesn't uh, fit the paradigm of naturopathy. And so they've gone from, you'll see the shift in the literature, they've gone from studying whether or not an intervention is efficacious to sort of like um, what Stephen Novella calls a pragmatic study. So just understanding, do people like it? How much does it cost? Is it accessible? And, um, and really framing things as individualized care, which allows the study design to then sh- like shift and morph with whatever it is that the naturopath wants to throw into the treatment mix. And so if patients A, B, and C are being treated for whatever high cholesterol, patient A can get drug mixture or naturopathy mixture number one, patient B, mixture therapies number two, patient C, 
you get the idea, right? Because it's all is changing with whatever it is that that patient needs, which doesn't actually allow them to test the efficacy of any one intervention alone. You've got, you've got to speak to the individual patient and find out exactly what's right for them. And That's therefore right. no homeop- one individual yeah, yeah. treatment can be tested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is how a lot of homeopathic studies run, for yeah. example. Yeah. yeah. So you'll, you'll see this is pretty, pretty common. And so there is like a little bit of a trend of um, trying to apply the scientific method to naturopathic studies. Um, sorry, the scientific method to naturopathic studies. But y- you don't really see this making any impact. I was engaged in one of these studies, actually, as a resident. I helped run a, um, a trial to test whether elderberry syrup was an effective alternative for the flu vaccine. And I did this in um, my family practice in Seattle. And the results were negative. And they decided not to publish the study, which is pretty much, I think, how this goes. Seems to be the way that, yeah, oh, we'll just start it uh, publish the ones that work and even when you see them doing reviews of it it's like oh well these five studies show what well, yeah but what about the other 500 that didn't they just ignore or, them or it seems like they just make stuff up like with the statement that vitamin c reduces hospital stays and mortality and then there's literally no data in the paper like no data it's recommendations from chinese researchers about what should be done so it's just I, I don't under, I can't I can't understand it. So we've now got a question from Simon who asks, "What qualifications did you need to gain entrance to your naturopathic school compared to the qualifications required for a normal medical school?" Right. So I had to have some prerequisite courses, like I don't know, chemistry one hundred and one, biology one hundred and one, like these types of things. I, technically, you need a bachelor's degree. Although I knew students who entered naturopathic school without a bachelor's degree. You don't have to take any graduate entrance exams, and you don't have to take any of these um, medical entrance exams. So I wasn't required to take any of these standardized tests, which is common for um, entrance to gain entrance into medical school. So the MSATs, for example. Um Andrew from Cambridgeshire asks, given there's no scientific evidence for alternative therapies like homeopathy, why do they survive? They make patients feel good emotionally. So I can give you an example from um, from Germany. So when I was pregnant, I suffered from terrible, terrible morning sickness where I was really barely functional. And I went to my OBGYN and was just talking to her about it. And she told me, you know, all of the regular medical blah, blah stuff. You're fine. You don't need to, you know. I wasn't dehydrated or anything like that. There's nothing I can really do for you, but I can. And then she offered me homeopathy. And I said to her in that moment, thank you for offering. However, I need to tell you up front that I do not want to be given any alternative therapies. I don't, I don't want homeopathy. I don't want anything that is not science-based. And she totally received that information well. And then she said, um, why not? <laughs> and I said, because I know it doesn't, I know it doesn't work. And she said, yes, that's true. It doesn't work, but it makes pa- patients feel good. And I said, you're right, but I don't need that to feel good. And I think, I think that it's as simple as that. A lot of people like to 
walk out of a doctor's office with something in hand. And I think this sort of speaks to the overprescription of antibiotics, for example, and many medical doctors will, you know, can talk, can talk about this from their own experience where things are overprescribed because they feel like the patient wants something. And I think that is, is part of it. It's also, I mean, it's kind of fun if you're the, if you're the person that likes astrology you know, or like gets a kick out of reading your horoscope for the next week or or whatever. There's something like quirky about this idea that you can take a piece of the Berlin Wall and dilute it down so there's nothing into it, pack that water memory into a sugar pill and then give it to someone who's suffering from social isolation and maybe that'll help them feel better. And I mean, it goes back a bit to the metrics that they're using to discuss their success, you know, to show that it works is how happy did you feel when you left? How much better did you feel? <clears throat> Not objective measures, but the kind of things yeah. that they go, yeah, I felt really good. And yeah. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. because somebody spent time with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a lot. That's a big part of it, that sort of like therapeutic um, relationship between the patient and the practitioner. There's also this idea that um, because it's supposed to be just the water memory, that the homeopathic remedy is inherently safe because there's not supposed to be anything in it. But the problem is that, especially in the U.S., is that supplements are not regulated like drugs. And so even though there's not supposed to be anything in it, oftentimes there's something in there. And so there was this really tragic case, I think in 2017, where these homeopathic teething tablets, which were being given to babies, you know, around about six months of age, um, these tablets were contaminated with a poisonous plant that caused all sorts of terrible outcomes and even some deaths. It was linked back to this plant called belladonna, um, which is called deadly nightshade. And so it's this idea like, oh, just take it. it. What harm can it cause? It's only seven bucks, no big deal. But it can actually cause a lot of harm and, and death in the worst case scenarios. But that what a harm argument also doesn't work with homeopathy and some of the other naturopathic medicines because actually they prevent you from getting real treatment, which yeah. the harm is you die because you didn't get treated for what you could have been cured quite easily. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, abs- that's absolutely part of it. Okay, let's move on to the next question. So quackery and basic medicine might seem fairly clear cut, but are you aware of any pseudoscience pervading, pervading the treatment of mental health problems? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of pseudoscience in um, in the treatment of mental health. I mean, there are many naturopaths. So actually, I didn't talk about this in this talk, but I was taught that I could treat mental health disorders in naturopathic school. So I was taught, for example, that schizophrenia might arise from a hidden food allergy and that food allergies could cause um, delusions, for example, or, um, or, or make you hear voices, or that heavy metal toxicity could be a trigger for schizophrenia. But like in reality, in most, um, you know, westernized countries, people aren't being exposed to toxic levels of heavy metals. And there's certainly no reason to think that they have been or that, you know, some high level of arsenic, for example, is causing schizophrenic symptoms. And you'll find a lot of naturopaths in North America, especially the U.S., advertising homeopathy for the treatment of mental health disorders, especially mental health disorders that tend to affect women. So you'll see homeopathy advertised for bipolar all the time, for example. 
this makes me yeah, angry. I but anyway, wrote about it. There's um, there's a good book that I can I'll tweet about it after the talk see, that yeah. I provided a chapter for for um, pseudoscience and the treatment of mental health disorders. And make, again, I'm sure our mods are posting your Twitter into the uh, chat and hopefully also your website as well. Um, are there any areas of quack practice that you feel deserve more attention from skeptics, or ones that you think we spend too much time talking about? Mm. I mean, this, so this changes, right, with the trends. Um, I don't think so. I think skeptics in general do a good job of, especially if you like peruse a website like Quack Watcher or um, Science Based <sighs> Medicine, you're basically going to find everything you've ever wanted to know about in terms in terms of quackery and in terms of spending too much time talking about something you know the thing that i've learned is that even if something feels repetitious to you there are so many people out there who don't know what we know and so i never really find it to be a waste of time to review something that even we might feel is basic like homeopathy you know i think it's important to to sort of make sure that we always at least cover those that basic foundation or those basic nuts and bolts just to make sure that everybody's on the same page i think also um pseudoscience is very cyclical things go in fashion come out of fashion but so long as you have that basic knowledge of all of them to a, you don't need an in-depth knowledge but enough to understand what they actually are because so many people don't understand what homeopathy is so yeah. many people think it's herbal medicine or they think it but they don't understand the actual facts of what it really is. Yeah. Um, and if we make sure they keep knowing that, then that keeps it from coming back in that cyclical fashion. Yeah, yeah. And the more that we talk about it, I think the better we get at communicating it, you know, even to each other. And then when I hear someone phrase something really beautifully, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to remember that. So I can use that same phrasing the next time I'm talking to whatever, you know, my friend who has a question or, so I think it's just important to, to just always be talking about, about it and to, um, to, to keep it relevant. Definitely. Um, Kate asks, how does natural medicine in the U S compare to the German use and prescription by doctors of herbal products? Well, uh, it's very popular in Germany. Um, it's really common for doctors and uh, nurse midwives here to recommend alternative therapies. I gave the story about my OBGYN when I was pregnant. Um, my nurse midwife, so everybody, it's like standard in Germany. This is, I think, for the American audience. It's standard in Germany for um, pregnant women to have a nurse midwife in addition to their OBGYN. And so this nurse midwife is someone who will do visits at home with you in conjunction to the woman doing her well visits at the OBGYN's office. And the nurse midwife can also attend the birth in conjunction with a medical physician at the hospital. And so I, I had a nurse midwife and several medical physicians all taking part of my care when I was pregnant. And my nurse midwife told me that I was the only person that she's ever met who declined homeopathic <laughs> therapy while in labor. <laughs> and she was, she was appalled that I said no, <laughs> that I declined it. <laughs> so it, it's super, it's super pervasive. Um, and it does find itself, you know, in medical care all the time. I think, I, I don't know, but I would suspect that it's more common in the practice of treating women and children than it is in other fields. It's just a suspicion. Um, 
that being said, you know, my daughter's pediatrician has never recommended it. Um, and the regulation of it functions a bit differently in Germany, at least, where um, naturopaths in, in Germany, and there are lots of naturopaths, are not regulated in any way that resembles the medical field. So they're not allowed to call themselves doctors or physicians. They can't advertise themselves as offering primary care services, for example. Um, and medical doctors, even though they will offer it to patients, seem to have a pretty strong understanding that it is a um, sort of ad Adjunctive therapy that doesn't do anything. That's something that is meeting the emotional need, perhaps, of a patient. And at least in my experience, when I've declined it, there's been like no, no pushback, no issue. You know. Um, Gray the Earth thing asks another question: Is there an intervention or a nudge that might have snapped you out of natu naturopathy earlier? Earlier? I don't know. I think that's impossible to say. I was only. I only practiced for like three and a half years after graduation. And so in total, <clears throat> it was like seven, eight years that I was in the, in the community, in the profession. So not a terribly long time. Um, when I look back on it, I feel like it came pretty early for me compared to a lot of the emails that I get from naturopathic practitioners. I mean, maybe if someone died, to be honest, yeah. um, Maybe if I act, I was so lucky I didn't hurt anybody, at least that I know of, you know, maybe if someone got really hurt and I got really scared, but th it took a pretty scary event to sort of um, snap me out of it in the first place. Um, Anonymous asks, uh, can you naturopathic doctors prescribe actual drugs in some jurisdictions? Oh, yeah, for sure. So it, it's state by state uh, or province by province in North America. So, um, in Arizona and Washington, I was allowed to prescribe actual drugs. I prescribed antibiotics all the time. I prescribed things like steroids for children, um, for the airways, for example, like an inhaled albuterol. Uh, I had a DEA number, for example. So when I called the, the pharmacy, I could give them my federal physician prescription number. I had a prescription pad. I was so fancy. You know, I really, um, yeah, for sure. For sure. So did that entitle really... you to prescribe any drug or was it <laughs> no. very limited? Not very limited, but limited. So I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to prescribe some controlled substances. Um, so some painkillers, for example, I wasn't allowed to prescribe, but I was allowed to recommend medical marijuana. So it really varied um, depending on how good naturopaths were able to lobby in that state, to be honest. Um, Anonymous asks, um, what, are your, what are your views on the integration of alternative medicine or native medicine as being taught to nurses such as Canadian provinces? Yeah, I think that this is a reaction to the popularity of alternative medicine. And I suspect that hospitals and schools are just recognizing this as a business opportunity to attract um, either patients, and if it's a clinic or a hospital, or even to attract students into their program. I can tell you that I would have found this very attractive had I been applying to, to real medical schools. Um, are there any naturopathy schools in the UK, do you know? Or uh, do UK naturopaths have a different standing to US ones? 
they certainly have a different U.S. standing. As far to the best of my knowledge, U.K. naturopaths cannot call themselves physicians or advertise themselves as primary care physicians. And there are schools in the U.K. Um, I can't list the names of any of them for you, but there there are um, naturopathic programs in the U.K. They usually offer like a naturopathic health certificate or some sort of like certification program, for example. Um, Andrew from Cambridgeshire again asks, um, in the UK, alternative medicine is definitely a minority interest or a last resort. What proportion of Americans actually use it or is that increasing or decreasing? Definitely a minority interest. I, I mean, that's interesting. Um, I don't know if that's true, to be mm. honest. Andrew. I'm inclined to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's true because I think um, what falls into the camp of alternative, most people don't necessarily see as alternative does that make sense and so like i don't think the average person picking up an immune support supplement from boots or the local grocery store is going to see that as alternative medicine but it most certainly is and so i i know that um it's a billion dollar industry in the u.s and growing um especially when we have crazed political leaders purporting um alternative medicine or anti-vax information which we do in the u.s unfortunately um so it's a massive it's a massive business and it's just it's just getting bigger and most people uh are willing to at least entertain the idea of some sort of alternative therapy. I mean, when you look at the fact that some of our biggest or one of our biggest uh, pharmacies over here refuses to remove homeopathic homeopathic products from their shelves, there's yeah. a reason for that. It's because yeah, yeah. there's a lot money of money maker. in it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. if it wasn't a big part of their takings, they'd be quite happy to go, okay, no problem, we'll get rid of it. It's not, it's a big part of their money. So they go, no, we're not going to get rid of it. Um, even supermarkets sell not so much, but I mean, homeopathic teeth and granules I know are on sale in almost all major supermarkets. Um, and they're just sat there alongside the medicines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's part of the problem is the labeling and the differentiation. So um, if you look at cough syrups, for example, in the children's section, it's really hard to discern the homeopathic cough syrups from uh, a non-homeopathic. I don't want to say a real cough syrup because cough syrups and children don't have good evidence, but a cough syrup that doesn't have a homeopathic basis, for example. Um, and so a patient just walking through the aisle is going to look at something that sort of um, speaks to their marketing interests. You know, it's the right color or it's using the right phrasing or, or whatever, whatever. I was just listening to a, a, a political podcast and their ads came on and they're, um, they were advertising immune support supplements and it's like you can't you can't get away from it is sort of my feeling. Yeah, it, uh, yeah as I said, they are everywhere. They, it's not as if you can go, oh, it's this one per company that are doing it. No, they're everywhere. They are all over the place. Um, so um, angels, I'm not sure if it's angel swine or angels wine, but they both spelt the same. So um, I, one of those two asks, have naturopaths or homeopaths received a sentence for the malpractice? Is there a precedent for it? That's an interesting question. Not that I know of. There certainly have been malpractice cases against naturopaths, um, which I can't speak about in detail, but I know about because I've been asked to serve as an expert witness in some cases or to sort of um, assist. 
in other ways. And I actually can't tell you the outcomes of any of those, of any of those cases either, but I know that they, they do exist. Um, it's tricky in the U S because it gets to this established standard of care. So if the naturopath or the homeopath is working in a state, for example, where that profession is regulated and there's a regulatory board, then whether or not that practitioner has um, committed malpractice depends on whether or not they've met the expected standard of care or not. And what seems to be true in naturopathy, at least, is that there is no standard of care, right? Because everything is inherently individualized. And so if that, again, you know, if that patient's coming to you for high cholesterol treatment or mental health treatment, it's not so much like, did that naturopath do what a medical doctor would have done, which is most certainly no, right? And would not reach that medical standard of care. But did that naturopath do something that's in alignment with naturopathic philosophy and that other naturopaths do? So in Arizona, for example, that standard of care is literally do, can we find two other naturopaths in the state that would have given that treatment? Fine. We call it a standard. And in the case of Ukraine, it could be a standard of care because it turns out that there were so there were multiple naturopaths in that state that were giving that drug to patients with cancer, and so it becomes really, um, I think, difficult to um, to litigate in that way. And also, what doesn't help is that it's pretty much managed by naturopaths. So yeah. if you put a complaint in, you don't put a complaint into the medical board; you put it into the um, homeopathic, um, sorry, the naturopathic. Um, organization and they look into it and they go no it's fine because it's something we might have done um exactly um anonymous asks um in online support groups for illness illnesses uh long covid me there are people following naturopathic ideas should these be reported as fake and challenged sure why not (laughs) i mean if it even i don't i don't see the downside i don't see the downside of this if you're reading something online that you feel might be dangerous. I don't see the downside and unless I'm missing something. I don't know. No, I'm with you. No, no. Absolutely not. Um, it probably won't do anything knowing Facebook's um, how they work, but there's no harm in trying. And actually it might get them to put one of these uh, little tags on it to say that this might be misleading or whatever they're doing. I know Twitter are putting, um, I can't remember what they call it, but there's something where it tags it to say this could make be incorrect. This might not be real. Yeah, um, yeah. It might do something like that. Um, and also, I think it tweaks their algorithms, if I under, remember rightly, that it will get um, it will show up less in your suggested feeds and things like that if yeah, yeah. they're reported. Yeah, and it's important to remember, I don't know if your um, your speaker on QAnon went through this, but a lot of conspiracy theories get twisted up into alternative medicine ideas as well. And so it could be, actually, that there's some conspiracy nonsense also getting twisted up with whatever alternative therapy that's being um, promoted there. So in the case of COVID, COVID isn't real or what have you, t- you know, tacked onto some natural therapy. So I think in that case, it it seems like a good idea to report this as being potentially fake and dangerous. Um, Sirdar asks, can you tell us more about what NDs learn about patient handling? Because they seem particularly successful at assuring their patients and keeping them happy. 
Yeah. So NDs, I, I spent a lot of time in counseling courses and how to talk to patients. Um, so there was a lot of like health psychology courses, which includes something called motivated interviewing, which is learning how to speak to patients and how to help them make really challenging lifestyle changes like quitting smoking or losing weight or what have you. Um, and there's also specific business courses where we learn not just practice management, but like how to portray yourself as a naturopath and how to interact with the patient. And um, we, we practice things like um, shaking hands and presenting yourself and your elevator pitch and setting up your office and your lobby and things your receptionist should say and not say and all sorts of these things. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of time spent on, on this. And also the things that help lend legitimacy to what you do. So I imagine portray your degree or degree yeah, yeah, yeah. in yeah. prominent position that says you're a yeah. doctor and yeah. all that sort of thing that just kind of lends legitimacy to what you do, even though um, it's not. Yeah. Um, Vic asks, what's the naturopath view on vaccination? Um, I would say that they're generally anti-vaccination. So in my pediatrics course, we were recommended to read the Bob Sears vaccine book where we were taught to delay vaccines or to space them out or limit them and to come up with a alternative vaccine schedule. We had an assignment one time where we were asked to discuss the controversies of a vaccine and the pros and cons of giving that vaccine, which I think just sort of like sets the naturopathic student up for thinking, oh, we actually need to be really skeptical of the scientific information and um, and this vaccine recommendation. And so I, I would generally put them in the anti-vaccination camp. I think we've got uh, time for one more question. So we'll go for a question from Andrew. Um, and I think it's a big question. It's one that you've probably got a lot to say on. What are your top tips for talking to family or close friends who are engaging with that naturopathy? So this is a super important question and one that I get all the time, as you said. The most important thing, and you have to say this to yourself over and over and over, is be nice. <laughs> be nice. Come in asking genuine questions about wanting to understand where that person is coming from and why they might be pursuing naturopathy. If you can't empathize with that, if you don't know what has led them to making that choice, you're not going to have an effective conversation with them. And I think the other thing that needs to be at the forefront of that conversation is your concern for that friend or that family member and really making sure that that is emphasized and not that you're criticizing their choice or or you know making them feel stupid for choosing something or telling them that they're wasting money or time but rather that you are scared for them and that you really want the best for them and so you want to have this conversation with them so that you can help them get their needs met for whatever that is and then if you can start to have that conversation with them you know you're just going to have to sort of assess on your own how quickly to progress that conversation because it shouldn't be a one and done conversation. I think it's impossible to make it a one and done conversation. 
but if you can have a sort of a warm and welcoming and, um, you know, loving conversation from the get go, that'll certainly allow you to get the foot in the door to have more critical conversations and, you know, doing things like asking to go with them to the naturopath's office is super helpful and taking notes on your own. And then if the naturopath is, you know, making a recommendation to buy $500 with the supplements, you can say, maybe, maybe we'll stop and think about this and we can come back and buy the supplements tomorrow. Or, you know, you can sort of like gently intervene in those moments and just sort of being an advocate for the patient. What I find is that a lot of people who turn to naturopathy and alternative medicine feel helpless. They feel like they've been overlooked or ignored by the medical system. They're tired and they're frustrated. And so just by offering to advocate for them and to be a partner with them through whatever it is that they're going through can be a massive stress relief. And I think you'll have a better success of helping to navigate them to safe and effective medical care. I think for me, what you've just said there can be summed up by the strap line for The Skeptic, uh, the UK uh, Skeptical Magazine, which is reason with compassion. Yeah. You know, give them logic, but also give them that compassion. Make them know that you're there for them. You're, it's all about caring for them. It's not about what, it's not about doing things for you. It's about that you're scared for them and that you yeah. want to help them. Yeah. This has been absolutely fantastic, Britt. I'd like to thank you so much for coming along. Um, it's sure. been a really great talk. Um, I've loved having a chat with you. That was the Skeptics in the Pub online podcast. For more skeptical content, including information about future talks, please like us on Facebook, follow at SITP on Twitter, or head to our website at sitp.online, where you'll also find a link to all the ways you can get in touch with us, including our Discord server. Music in this episode was provided by Thula Bora and used with permission. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>